Hi, and welcome to Cartwheels on the Sky, Poets, Poems, and Discovery. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and for the next 30 minutes, you're going to get a glimpse into the poems and process of Wallala Poet-in-Residence, Dana Teen Lomax. Before I share our conversation, I want you to know a little bit about Dana. She's a fourth-generation Californian, and she's lived on the Mendocino Coast for nearly three years. Currently, she's the 21-22 Poet-in-Residence at the Wallala Arts Center. The daughter of a painter and a builder, Dana began writing poetry as a child and remembers melting crayons in her bedroom and drawing poems around the swirls of color as a way of dealing with her parents' divorce. Early on, she knew that language had the ability to help people understand experience, help us sort, uncover, and or complicate how we see the world. In high school, she borrowed a copy of E.E. Cummings' selected poems at the local library, and the possibilities on the page shifted tremendously for her. Dana began to see poetry as a deep conversation with form, with the reader, with ways of directing experience and connecting with others in intimate ways. A lecturer at San Francisco State University for over two decades, Dana has taught writing in schools, prisons, libraries, hospitals, pubs, and farmers markets. She served as the director of Small Press Traffic, the Human Rights and Equity Chair for the Teachers Union, and as a traveling poet teacher with the Performing Arts Workshop, the William James Association, as well as California Poets in the Schools. To date, Dana has published three large-scale editorial projects and three books of poetry, as well as numerous chapbooks, broadsides, and discrete poems. Her most recent anthology includes work from every U.S. state, district, and territory, and commonwealth, and it's entitled The Beautiful, Poets Reimagine a Nation. Dana also edited Kindergard, Poems, Plays, Stories, and Songs for Children, which received a Creative Work Fund grant, as well as the Lion and Unicorn Award for Excellence in North American Literature from John Hopkins University Press. High points in Dana's career include when her book Disclosure was chosen by the Gorilla Girls as one of their favorite poetry books of the year, and the broadside printing of her poem Lullaby by Orion Press in San Francisco. Her current project, Unnamed Relation, considers the links and jumps between ideas, people, and ourselves in the world. Poems from this manuscript have been published in the American Poetry Review, The Elderly, and The Pie Review, among others. She's also working on completing a graphic novel with former middle school student Peyton Alexander, making poem films, writing a musical with her identical twin sister, and completing a short documentary about inequity in California's education system. Find out more about the amazing Dana Teen Lomax at her website, because there's lots more, and that's danateenlomax.com. Here's a conversation we had earlier this week. Welcome, Dana Teen Lomax. It's such a pleasure to have you here with me. Do you want to start Hi. us off with a poem? Hi. Sure. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, this is from, it's an excerpt from a larger manuscript called Unnamed Relation. And I think you've seen them. They're the ones that are all hyphenated together. And these poems all begin with the in-between. This one's called Narrow Vision. The in-between of narrow vision, for whatever reason, Only 1% of the human visual field is high resolution. The favia, as it's called. The rest of what we see peripherally is like looking through frosted glass. Check it out. It's weird that even a common goat sees more of the world at one time than we do. Also, mantis shrimp, 
dragonflies, and chameleons too, who all have wider fields of view. Clearly the word common for any animal is a misnomer. And this might explain the cruelty that we enact on each other. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about poetry and you and how poetry found itself in your life and maybe some background and who you are. Yeah, sure. So um, when I was little, I, I wrote a poem. Um, my parents uh, had a volatile relationship, <laughs> to say the least. My dad uh, was an alcoholic and my mom was a fundamentalist Christian and they made a really loving and volatile <laughs> parents. Interesting and combination, so, right. Yeah, chip out. Uh, they were really loving people and both very creative. Uh, my dad designed houses. My mom was a painter. And uh, not professionally, but I have paintings all over my house that she did, beautiful landscapes and seascapes. And and um, so I would go in my room when they would fight and I would write poems to help me figure it out and get through it or in some cases just kind of block it out. And so it was a way of understanding the world and finding a solace, I guess, you know, when I was really little. And so I wrote just, I just wrote as a way of dealing with the world. Um, Do you remember how old you were when you first wrote one? You know, I think I was like, I was in elementary school. So maybe like, I don't know, I want to say seven, but it's probably more realistically like nine, something like that. And, um, uh, my mom, who was prone to do this, would go through my trash can and look at what I was doing in my room, you know, and she found one of my poems and she blew it up and she had it, Some one of our friends did calligraphy and he did this calligraphy piece and then painted a rose behind it and they put this, they made poster-sized prints of this and I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh my God, no. But then it was also at the same time, sort of like, wow, people think it's good. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Like, I didn't, I was Right, the cringe factor also came along with this idea of that, oh, yeah, they like it. It, Right. Exactly. And so it was this terrible invasion of privacy, and then it sort of had that second part to it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I've been writing ever since. And um, my parents didn't go to college, so I remember I was uh, probably – you know, maybe eighth grade, and a, a kid came over and was talking about this thing called an MFA that you could go and be go to college and just do art. And I was like, no way. Like, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> you could do this. Like, like a I dream. Never, what? You could just do this the whole time? <laughs> like, you could do, you don't like, have to you get a job. <laughs> exactly. I was like, can you really do that? Oh, my and God. And so that's what I did. I mean, it took a long time. I, You know, I'm – from a working class family, and so I was. I went to junior college, and then I went to Sonoma State, and then I went to UC Santa Cruz, and then I went to San Francisco State. Like I, you know, I just kept. It it took a long time, but um, I got my master's from SFSU, and then I taught there for a number of years in creative writing and composition, which is a yeah. very well known writing university. Or it's very very famous for that, at least in the Bay Area. Yeah. Pumped well, out I, many, many brilliant, well-lauded writers. I was so lucky to work with Norma Cole and Bob Gluck and uh, Myung Mi Kim and just these amazing experimental writers that changed my life. Uh-huh. And, yeah, the cohort I was with was, you know, 
Sarah Ann Cox, Yetta Morrison, Jocelyn Sadenberg, just these incredible women writers. And, uh, I mean, I could go on. Erin Wilson, Lauren Schein. Diane Frank was there, too, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm so happy for her. I know. She keeps winning things. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> she was a guest on the show a couple of times over the last few years. Great. She was our feature poet for Third Thursday Poetry, which you are going to be also. Woohoo! I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in August. Yes. Right. Talk about your own work and I mean, do you find yourself writing different times of the day, all the time, when something inspires you? What's your writing habit? You know, um, I'm trying to be, it's it's this lifelong practice of trying to be the person who writes every day. And um, it's sort of, <laughs> I've also been trying to develop a meditation practice. I think they go together well. And um, I'm much more sporadic than that right now. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that I get up every morning. I'm working to be that person that gets up <laughs> in the morning and <laughs> writes everything down and carves out a time. But it just seems like, one thing leads into another, and, you know, I'm, I'm busy a lot. Days but, uh, on, yeah, to be that person. Mm-hmm. I was always one of those poem-a-day person, kept a journal religiously, and a lot of my younger disciplines have kind of moved into something else, right? I think that's part of the, as you get older and more accomplished on some level, some of those extra needs don't, they change a little bit. Right. So do no, you, absolutely. Do you prefer to sit down at night or in the day or whenever? Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's a lot of whenever, but I do find that in the evenings when it's quiet and the cats are on the couch and it's just everything's, the dishes are done or not, and I'm just sitting here um, toasty and quiet, that's a great time for me to write. Yeah, and um, so I do that several times a week, and I have a manuscript right now that's 136 pages and it's just going every which way but um i just keep adding to it and we'll see what happens do you have a working title uh yeah unnamed relation is the is the working title i'm i it's sort of rivaling i have another one called that i'm thinking about uh called seat in the booth but i think unnamed relation right now is winning do you want to read us a poem sure let me see Mm -hmm. which one This one kind of explains seat in the booth, so I'll go with this one. The in-between of we were all once a single-celled organism. You, me, and every person that's urinated on themselves a little at some point or another. So just as I might be pissed off at you, stepmother, for wanting, as Sarah Ann Cox says, to erase me if you could, or you, cousin, for not having known how to take your mental health more seriously, Or for the spots I cannot see, I apologize. Please forgive me. And come on over because we have saved you a comfortable, clean seat here in the booth. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the the seat. I appreciate that, Save. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's great. A lot of forgiveness that we all, I think, need more of in our life, right? Oh, my God, all the time. All the time. It's a never-ending process. I think that's one thing the last few years have really taught us and taught me, I know for sure, is that more forgiveness, more tolerance. You know, the one thing that I remember is if there's anger or hate in my heart, it hurts nobody but me. Oh, for sure. That's such a big lesson because sometimes 
things make me angry. <laughs> and then what do you right. do? Oh, my God. Well, do I carry it around or do I find a way to express it? And, man, poetry is such a beautiful way to find that forgiveness, You know, get that stuff out. Because otherwise it just gets lodged. You still have to express it somehow, right? Right, right. I'm just thinking, like, in the face of, you know, Roe. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, the... I think about the efficacy of poetry a lot, and um, I don't think it's either or. Like, I have a poem about this, actually. Um, How do we use poetry to channel our... our, I mean, anger means we're not getting what we want, right? (laughs) Or we've been wronged, right? Something... Where where does anger come from? Right. It comes in fear a lot of times, too, right? Right. That secondary emotion, right? But I also, just maybe this is just what I've dealt with, but when I feel wronged, I get mad, you know? When I feel like something's wrong, I want to change it. I want to do something. And so since I'm an artist and since I'm a poet, I go to my work to do that. Um, Could I read a poem that kind of grapples with that idea? Oh, please, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This uh, This is sort of dealing with that idea of what poetry can change. The in-between of understanding Rashida Phillips' comment to someone else. But alas, it appears you are still using the privilege of whiteness to gain currency that you don't deserve. Thinking of the term deserve, from Latin, to serve zealously, serve well, weighing again the pearly whiteness all over me, the uncounted luxuries it provides, My writing collective says in questions of society, they're on the side of poetry. And Jack Spicer says poems alone could never or likely will never pay anyone back. Yeah, right. So I don't know which it is, right? I mean, of course I'm on the side of poetry. I'm a poet. (laughs) I write to try to change society and make a difference and also... We need to change legislation. We need justice. I mean, what we really need to do is we need to find the checks and balances again. You know, unfortunately, we think it's parties, but it's really not. It's corporations. There's been so much corruption, and for the most part, I don't believe our elected leaders are really our, our best interests are not in their hearts when you look at who funds them and how how crazy and out of control the whole system has gotten. And right, with Citizens United, where corporations can be seen as individuals, it's ridiculous. Well, right. When I when I was voting in this last primary, I spent a bunch of time looking at who supported the candidates, and mm-hmm. and then I looked at who supported the supporters of the candidate, where they get their money, and mm-hmm. then you start realizing all the money is coming from the same places for both sides. So while we think we're voting for a Democrat or Republican or an Independent or a Green or, you know, for this issue or that, when you keep narrowing the pencil, you keep getting closer, you realize that for the most part, a lot of the things that are going on are corporate driven by Yeah, yeah. Have you heard that Ilya Kaminsky poem, We Lived Happily During the War? Yes. Yes. In the country of money, and I think it's, Oh, I wish I could remember it. It's something like, in the city of money, in the state of money, in the country of money, our country of money, we, forgive us, live happily during the war. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. Of, just the repetition of money in that is just so apt. Well, and those of us here in America especially, you know, a friend of mine used to always say, 
Well, yeah, we live on the supply side of empire. You know, we're lucky for that. You know, in that right. sense that we have this opulence when when we look at the imbalances around the world, and so many of us don't think about that and don't really take the time to look at that level of injustice, the global injustices. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of the leaders are using our own good values against us, but in so many ways aren't really, <laughs> it's, it's rhetoric. It's hard. It's so hard. And I think as a poet, I don't want to offend either side. And I know for myself, I can't help but I'm a utopist. I want the world to be beautiful for everybody, you know. And so then how do you find that that, that space in that? Where, where do you, you know, where do you forgive, I guess, is the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that would even be forgive yourself for what you see, right? Right. I just want to remind everyone that you're listening to Cartwheels on the Sky. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm having a conversation with Walala poet Dana Teen Lomax. Right. How do you share your poems out in the world? Um, that's a really good question. How do I share them? Well, so I, pre-COVID, I would go to readings and, you know, be out in the scene. I, I loved uh, the small press traffic readings, and I loved going to when there was Knessa Gallery readings. You know, the city's just full of so many great readings, and I would go all the time. And then with COVID, now I go to Zoom readings, which in a way has been great, right? Because we get to go all over, you know, readings in New York, readings wherever. They're just available to us in our living room, so that's great. Um, but I, um, it's been kind of a quiet time because of what I'm going through personally. And it's been um, sort of a, I'm in a little bit of a hermitage. Uh, so, I mean, I published books. The Beautiful just came out, and it's not just my work, but I consider editorial work also creative and conceptual. And so I've been eagerly promoting The Beautiful. And then this book, I have been sending it out to a few places. I just uh, finished, I guess it's been a while now, maybe eight months ago or something, I finished the a residency um, online in Barcelona, which was really great, called Cell de Nord. And I met these incredible women from all over the world and shared poetry that way. And it was my first... Oh, that's a wonderful opportunity, an online residency. That's pretty cool. It was How really you... cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were people from, I mean, everywhere. <laughs> and uh, we're still in touch and we're still, you know, talking about each other's work and... Um, I hadn't been on a residency before, and it was a very strange way to do it, but I was honored. And then I also, after that, it sort of fueled me uh, to apply to the Banff Center for the Arts in Banff, Canada. And I had a virtual residency there, which was really great. And it was one of those things, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, even still I have imposter syndrome sometimes as an artist. <laughs> like, who am I? I'm not really an artist, right? <laughs> yeah, well, like, am I, do I belong here, whatever? And so, <laughs> I'm not good enough. <laughs> you're so, yeah, you're so brilliant. I love that. That's just so funny, right? <laughs> well, so, this, this writer, Jordan Abel, uh, wrote this great book called Nishka, and I just really admire it, and I, it's, I love that book so much. And he was there, and he was one of the facilitators, and I got so weird I mean, do you know what I mean? Like I took off. Yes, I do that. I, like, I, I sometimes 
do that if I'm attracted to someone. I just get really goofy, and I'm like, what, what are you doing? You're not 13 anymore. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And, like, self-deprecating and then also, like, alternately edgy. Like, just weird, yeah. right? <laughs> but so that was really interesting to have a residency and be like that. Um, but, I, you know, it did it, – it was great to put work out in those forms because they were international. And mm-hmm. I learned so much about, you know, um, education camps for for the natives in Canada. Boarding schools. I think they were re-education boarding schools is what I remember. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Here, Jordan Abel wrote a book about the residential school system in Canada and the the intergenerational effects of that. Um, yeah extending from like his grandparents to his father to himself and it was just it's such a striking book if people haven't read Mishka I would totally recommend it but there I was sharing my work in this this international forum being a goofball Uh, it was so funny but you know again I made great friends there Danny Spinoza a, a really interesting experimental conceptual writer does um Concrete poetry in many different ways, like so interesting. And um, I found out about this book, Dear Science, um, McKittrick, um, just also changed my life. Um, so I, I get I share work in these forums with other artists right now. I haven't been out and about just because of you know COVID and my own personal health and my own some personal situations that are going on so I'm not quite ready I have been through the Lalala Art Center uh, Seuss over there I love them so much and he when I met him he was like you know we could stand to have a poet in residence here would you do us the service and I was like are you kidding me absolutely so I'm excited about you know, putting something together there where we can all share work and, and form a stronger community in the writing. Oh, that's great. Among writers here. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you want to segue into The Beautiful? Why don't you give some background to the listening audience, what The Beautiful is? Yeah. So The Beautiful Poetry Imagination is an anthology that includes some of America's foremost poets uh, from all across the United States. Uh, including the territories, commonwealths, and districts of the United States. And um, it's, a, it's a collection that started because I had lost so many people that I love. Um, they, my parents died. My best friend that I've known since I was four died of cancer. Uh, we had a nephew who died in a car crash. I had a, Steve's brother, my my ex's brother um, had died earlier before in a in a tragic accident. Just so many people. Our family dog died. I mean, it, it, it was one right after the other, and it really hasn't let up. Um, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where how I can find joy, and I know it's out there, but I certainly can't find it. So I thought, well, if I had something beautiful, like I needed to find the beauty, right? So I said, if I had something beautiful coming to me, how can I do that? So I thought about the extended poetry family, people and and, um, poets that I've read for years that I've never met, but people whose work I'm familiar with and has meant something to me. And I decided to write to them and see if they would send me something beautiful from where they live. 
And I wanted something that they did not create because I didn't want it to be about, you know, look what I can do or here's my latest project. And I think that energy is really cool. I love that um, energy of, of creation that is so vital and churning in people. But I just, grief doesn't really look for that. I just needed something shared. And um, I wrote to all these poets, including two poet laureates, uh, Juan uh, Herrera, Felipe, Juan Felipe Herrera, sorry, <laughs> and uh, Joy Harjo, and asked, hey, would you send something? And they said yes. So Dorothy Alasky, uh, let's see, Arthur Zah, just so many of our Dor- uh, Perdita Sharma. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of who's all in here. Um, Linda Pastan. Um, let me think here. Jericho Brown, he's a Pulitzer winner. Jaime Cortez, just lots of really great poets. Dorian Locks, just our treasures right across the nation. And I was so taken with how generous they were, and they started sending me beautiful things. And I asked for a just a hundred word description. I think I even said seventy five. Really short description of why they sent what they sent because. When a person is grieving, you can only you can only <laughs> concentrate for so long. It's like you can't really take a lot in, um, and the result is the beautiful. And I looked for publishers, and I I looked, and I had publishers, different publishers at different points. Who, once the pandemic hit, that were worried about the supply chain, or they ran out of money, or they pulled out, or in one case, I pulled out because I got uncomfortable with some of the associations with the press. And I had this book, and when I moved up here, I, it was one of the things I showed David Susala at the Wallala Art Center, and he said, yeah, we can publish that. And it's not a cheap book. It's full of color and all kinds of things, and, and we found a way to do it, and it's been going gangbusters ever since. People are really seem to identify with the need to – use social justice in many cases and also surprising things beyond a beautiful picture to bring us solace as a nation. I like that. Do you want to read something from it? Yeah. one of uh, There's so many good things, but one of the surprising ones maybe is Alabama. And it's... Timely. Back when- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that? I said timely. Yes, exactly. So Jacqueline Allen Trimble uh, has a picture of the um, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and I'll read what it says, and then I'll read her description of why she thought this was beautiful. For the hanged and beaten, for the shot drowned and burned, for the tortured, tormented, and terrorized, for those abandoned by the rule of law, we will remember. With hope because hopelessness is the enemy of justice, with courage because peace requires bravery, with persistence because justice is a constant struggle, with faith because we shall overcome. Here's what Jacqueline Allen Trimble writes of this. These words appear on a wall in EJI's National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, once the capital of the Confederacy and a hub for slave auctions, the memorial enacts Keats' pronouncement, beauty is truth, truth, beauty. 
by commemorating victims of racialized terror lynched throughout the United States. The words, like the memorial, testify to the power of truth-telling, transforming what was ugly into a beautiful symbol of hope and reclaiming our collective humanity. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You are a wonderful poet. (laughs) So much. Yes, I really enjoy talking with you, having you here on Cartwheels on the Sky. What a pleasure. You are a a national treasure who's moved into our community, so we're so lucky to have you. I have known you through poets in the schools and didn't even realize you moved to our coast and discovered it, so I feel so lucky that you're here and sharing your beautiful work and bringing more great stuff into our community, so thank you for doing that. Blake, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate how generous you always are with me and with the community. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. It's, we, we, we all need each other, right? It takes a community to raise the poetry. <laughs> that is right. Absolutely. Yes. Well, there you have it. Dana Teen Lomax, Willala Poet. Thank you so much for listening to Cartwheels on the Sky. Wishing you a wonderful holiday weekend full of celebration and family and friends. Some of you, like me, might be at the fireworks right now. Thank goodness for pre-recording. Here's to the reclamation of our hearts. Dig deep, dive in, and find gratitude. Have a beautiful evening.